Greetings to all my cool cats and cool kittens. They try to copy our style, but they stay frostbitten. You are now tuning to the sounds of MaximumFM.ca. It is your man, DM Cool. And welcome to Cool Radio. What we doing? You can catch me on your TV, even on the radio. Pop up at a rock spot, and I'm right away go. We in bitten airwaves. Cool. They be watching us, we so prosperous, ain't no stopping us, ain't no topping us, they be watching us, we so prosperous. Yes, yes, yo, we got another live show for y'all tonight, but before we get into tonight's festivities, this is my man Jadena with Chief Don't Run, only on Cool Radio, yo. Yeah. Listen online or download the app, you got it? MaximumFM.ca. Yes, yes, y'all. <clears throat> Excuse me. Wow. Welcome to the show. Once again, it is your man, DM Cool, and this is Cool Radio. Oh, you didn't know? Your ass better call somebody. Indeed, indeed. Tell a friend to tell a friend because we're live on the airwaves right now, and we have a big show for you guys ahead of tonight's schedule. Um, we did originally have... Uh, Raptors Republic writer and also just all around uh, writer for multiple publications, Blake Murphy um, in the building. He was supposed to be here, but we weren't able to get things scheduled, you know, things happen and what have you. So we'll definitely have him on a later show. So shout out to Blake Griffin uh, or sorry, uh, Blake Murphy, rather. Uh, We'll definitely have him on on a later time. Uh, But fear not. We do have a lot more to get on tonight's agenda. I'm going to give you guys a review on Drake's More Life. And you guys already know that we recently started the first Friday's album reviews. And because of the little impromptu, you know, schedule change, I figured we may as well just do it now since it just recently came out. I will give you guys my take on that. I will also give you guys the latest scoop on what's happening with Kendrick Lamar and his new track that he released entitled The Heart Part 4, where where he is blatantly taking shots at Big Sean. We're going to get into that. I also have the record on deck, so I'll let you guys hear it before we deliberate. But before we get to all that cool stuff, you guys already know how I do. I got to get some stuff off of my chest. So on that note, it is time to let that dish breathe. Let this bitch breathe! Yes, yes. Indeed, indeed. So, um... A lot of things has been happening within like the last week or so, uh, namely, you know, a lot of movies and television shows that are being released. Um, Power Rangers got released tonight, which I am trying to see as soon as I possibly can. Um, but last week, however, it was uh, the much-anticipated debut of Marvel's latest Netflix series and the final Defender, Iron Fist. Now, before it got officially released to Netflix... There were a lot of sour reviews, to say the least. A lot of people were very upset with how the show turned out. And I'm talking about the critics. Now, were these people right? Were they wrong? I'm about to get into that right now. I'm going to make it you know, somewhat short and sweet for you guys. So, I watched it. I was heavily anticipating it. Not because I've been a long-standing fan of the hero, since I've only known him for... I've only known about Iron Fist for the last year, year and a half, maybe two years tops. Um, but mostly because of the fact that, A, Marvel Netflix shows have been top-notch thus far, uh, and B, it involves a martial arts superhero. And any of you guys who know me knows that I'm all about that martial arts action, so give me some more of that. So basically, the show comes out, and I'm watching it, and I was able to binge through uh, the entire weekend, basically. I, don't, I can't remember how many episodes I watched 
per day, whether it be Friday, Saturday, or Sunday. But I got through it all, and I got to say that even though the critics were dead wrong about it being a completely garbage show and giving it like 18% and 19%, I do have to say, however, that this wasn't one of Marvel's strongest showings in terms of the Netflix shows. This is clearly the weakest out of their lineup, but it doesn't mean that it's a terrible show altogether. Um, I feel like their highs were relatively high, but then their lows were really, really low. I mean, let me get into the positives and the negatives, and I'll bring everything back full circle, basically. So the positives of this show, and there may be some spoilers in here, so I'm just letting you guys know ahead of time, just in case. So the positives in this show. Um, basically, they stuck to majority of the original canon of the Iron Fist series, if you are a big fan of the Iron Fist series. So you have Danny Rand, the lost boy who was training in the mystical land of Kunlun for 15 years, and he came back to America after he felt he was done his training. Uh, he came back basically for revenge uh, for the death of his parents. Now, they don't really illustrate it that well in the series, but it pretty much leads up to that. So they got that right. They got a lot of the other characters right as well. So Colleen Wing is pretty much his confidant in the show, someone that he comes across whom is someone that he feels as though he can trust and is someone who is very excellent in the, in the, in the skills of martial arts in her own regard. She's arguably one of the highlights of the show, I would say. Um, she's strong enough of a character that you almost want to know what her backstory is as well. Uh, same goes for for uh, Claire Temple, a.k.a. Night Nurse. Rosario Dawson reprises her role in the series once again. And I felt like she made a strong presence in the show as well. She's a strong supporting role, I would say. Um, and then what I also liked was the further... Uh, the story development of the of the hand storyline, basically the hand, as we all know, was the antagonist group that was more prevalent in Daredevil season two, um, the mystical group that is set to take over the world, basically, and they made their presence known in this series as well. They were pretty much the main antagonist, I would say, and they had their hand, quote unquote, in a little bit of everything that had to deal with, you know, any type of uh, nefarious activity. So they were definitely a, a, a strong signature within the show. And they showed more of their hands, so to speak, in this series. So I really like that. I really like the development. And then I would say another strong point was the martial arts in terms of the inspiration behind some of the scenes. For example, there was a scene um, later on in the series where Iron Fist was fighting off against someone who studied uh, drunken boxing. So that was really cool to see. And there was another episode in this show where... Uh, Danny Rand, a.k.a. the Iron Fist, had to go and fight in this game of death-inspired uh, labyrinth where one by one he'd have to take down his foes and opponents. And that was inspired by the Bruce Lee film Game of Death, and what, which I really love. I think that was my personal favorite episode. Fun fact about that episode, actually, it was directed by the RZA, so uh, do with it what you want. <laughs> now, I got to get to the negatives. Um, some of the acting in this show... Not the greatest, and especially coming from the person who played Danny Rand, Finn Jones. Now, I don't really know much about Finn Jones. All I know is that he was an actor who played a character on uh, Game of Thrones, basically. And this was his first breakout role as a solo superstar, so to speak, in his own show. Um, I don't want to. I don't want to cast judgment and say, you know, he's a terrible actor. I don't. I don't want to say that. But at the same time, the way his character is written maybe hindered what he could have done with that character. And I feel like maybe because of the way 
the Jamie Rand character was written in this series, it may have it may not have been the character for him to play. It may have been a miscast in that regard, based on the way it was written. Um, also, the first four or five episodes drag. They drag. Some of the stuff that that's in those four or five episodes, they could have put in one, maybe two episodes at most, and then we could have been fine with it. If anything, like it's to the point where now that I've watched it. If I were to watch it all over again, I'd probably just skip episode four and just start from five going forward, basically, because it's a lot of filler that we don't really need. It's not really necessary in this type of show. And there's like a lot of boardroom talk because he owns his own he, he owns his own um, uh, uh, corporation. And and that's another thing. They don't really specify what Rand Industries is about. Like if we go to, you know, Stark Industries, they're all about manufacturing weapons and technology. Rand Industries, we don't really know what they're about. We don't really know, and they don't really outline that. And I think that's one of the, the issues of this show. They don't outline that. They don't outline a whole lot of other things as well. There are certain things that they, that they say that they just kind of leave for us to try, to try and decide what is best. Um, like, they kind of teased a little bit at Colleen Wing's backstory, and a character mentioned how her grandmother was a great fighter. I'm like, okay, well... Let's continue on with that. I mean, what about her was so great, you know? Let, we want to find out more because Colleen Wing is already such a, an indulgent character for, for us to want to pay attention to, but they don't even mention that. And there are other times where Claire, for example, mentioned um, how she had a friend who fought off the hand or tried his best to fight off the hand, and it was increasingly difficult for him. Yet the Danny Rand character didn't even want to ask, well, how did he do it? You know, what was his strategy? Maybe we can get him on the phone. And mind you, I know they're saving that for the defenders. But if you're gonna if you're gonna make a piece of dialogue like that, then there has to be some sort of inquiry from the Danny Rand character to be like, okay, well, how did he do it? And another thing is like the Danny Rand character, he was very naive at times, man. I think that just goes back to the writing of the character for the show. He was very naive at times, and like even like at the last episode where where Madame Gal, the main protagonist, mentioned like a big reveal. It was like, dude, connect the dots, man. If she is saying this and that happened, then in the grand scheme of things, what do you think was the outcome of that? I'm not. I'm trying not to say anything because I don't want to spoil it. But basically, she gave him a huge, huge hint, and he couldn't even pick up on it, and it's crazy. Um, and then going back to the martial arts, even though I did say that some of the martial arts scenes were uh, were inspired, and, and that's what I liked about it, the execution of said inspired scenes was very hit or miss at times. And some of the, the choreography looked a little too, it looked a little too like overly rehearsed in a sense where you could almost tell that they're kind of thinking as they're punching and kicking and all that stuff. And this is coming from, you know, a show that's supposed to be about martial arts. And when we think martial arts, we think Jackie Chan, Jet Li, Donnie Yen. And I get it. We're not trying to compare Finn Jones to those guys because those guys have been doing it their whole lives where he probably did it the moment he signed on to the contract. But you would think that with all the technology that's available in, in today's market and all the, you know, the money they can shell out to people who can properly teach these scenes and, and choreograph these action clips and what have you, you would think that it would have been executed, you know, much more stronger, I would say. For example, there is a show that's um, on AMC right now. And it's called Into the Badlands. Um, and it's an American show and produced by an American company. But the martial arts action in there is amazing. Like for an American production, that's probably the best choreography I've ever seen. 
So I was hoping that Iron Fist would have been able, or Marvel or whomever, would have been able to get those resources to make those scenes look a little tighter. Even speeding up the action scenes as well like they do in, uh, in martial arts films in China to make it look a bit more realistic. Hell, they even did that in Captain America Civil War as well. So I thought they would have done that, but they didn't do that. So there's just a lot of missed opportunities with that show, and it could have gone so much further, but it didn't. And that's that's what had a lot of people upset and angry. Also, a lot of people were upset at the fact that uh, Danny Rand was played by a white character who was based upon Asian principles and philosophies, and they claimed that he had a white savior complex. But really, you have to take into consideration that the Danny Rand character that we see on the TV show was based on the Danny Rand character that was in the comic books in the early 70s. He was a white male in those comic books who went to a mystical land to learn the arts of, of kung fu and other types of martial arts as well. And people could argue that, hey, well, that was basically a play on the white savior complex back then, so why couldn't you change it now? If you changed it now, then you would be upsetting the fans of that comic book series from the 70s. So a lot of people were saying, oh, well, how about we just, we just come halfway and make him Asian-American? Which I'm not mad at, but at the end of the day, it's another case if you're damned if you do, damned if you don't. If it was a case where Luke Cage was produced and they made Luke Cage a white guy, then... Then you can scream out cultural appropriation and, and all that other stuff. But for now, you can't necessarily say that about this because you're only basing it on the original canon. And people get mad when you don't base stuff off the original canon. So again, damn if you do, damn if you don't. Um, and then another reason why I feel like people really weren't connecting with the show is because of the fact that uh, with the other Marvel Netflix shows, they were appealing to a particular culture or group or community and also their re resolve and their plight was based on the plight of the communities that they came from. So Luke Cage, for example, he's a black man. He, played, he, um, he basically catered to the black audience and kind of went through what they go through, you know, harassment from the police, uh, unarmed, um, unarmed individuals being brutalized by police officers, uh, the systematic oppression of black people within the justice system. That's what he represented. Jessica Jones, uh, victim blaming, uh, PTSD from sexual assault. That's what she represented. She represented for those females. And then even Daredevil, yes, he's a white man, but he's handicapped, he's blind. So he represented for, for the handicapped community and also the little man because his uh, firm, which was uh, Murdoch and, and, what was it, Murdoch and something... Something in Murdoch, whatever. His law firm is a very small law firm that basically stuck up for the little person. So the old age person who couldn't, who can't afford a pension, who has to get kicked out of her apartment. He represented those people basically. So they all represented some sort of minority in America. Whereas Danny Rand is a rich white kid who's from the one percent who is fighting over his inheritance with people that he grew up with. It almost looked like Trump's kids fighting over a trust fund, which is what none of us can relate to. So. I think that's another reason why this show is kind of a miss. Either way, I would say it's okay. It's an okay show. I kind of consider it to be the Thor of the Netflix shows because Thor wasn't that great, but it wasn't that bad either. It was just somewhere in the middle. Um, it's worth a watch just for you to watch it to say that you watched it. But I would say if you want to skip all the filler, just start from episode five and onward because that's where things actually start to pick up a little bit. Still a little bit of a drag, but most of your action starts from episode five onward. So on Facebook, I gave it a seven out of ten. That was a very generous score, I would say. But now I'm, 
with me kind of, you know, conjuring up these thoughts and watching other reviews and kind of seeing it from those other perspectives as well, I would kind of scale it back a little bit. And I'd give it like a 6 to a 6.5 roughly. That's what I would give it. But anyways, what do y'all think? If you guys seen the show yet, have you not seen it? Hit me up at DM underscore cool and let me know your thoughts. Coming up after the break, man, we got to get into this Drake review, More Life. You already know. But before we get to that, we got to play a record from uh, More Life. I don't know why I blanked out for a second, but nonetheless. Uh, this one is called Do Not Disturb. It's a final track on More Life. And he's taking a few shots at a couple of rappers that you know in and out of Toronto. So keep it locked. This is Cool Radio. And we'll be right back after these messages. Yo. Listen online or download the app. You got it. MaximumFM.ca. Yes, yes, y'all. Welcome back to the show. Once again, it is your man, DM Cool. And you are back with another edition of Cool Radio. Um, ladies and gentlemen, it's time to get into this review. I know it's our first Friday album reviews yet. We're still a couple weeks shy of that. But nonetheless, um, let's just get into it right now since we're already here. The album's been fresh for a week now. Let me give y'all my take on more life from Drake. All right? So this is basically the follow-up to Views. Views came out last year, as we already know. And this project is more of a playlist. That is what Drake is calling it. It's called He's calling it a playlist. I'm not sure why exactly he's calling it a playlist. Maybe it's a playlist that consists of songs that he wanted to put on other albums and didn't get the chance to. So maybe this is kind of like an untitled album from Kendrick Lamar or a Lost Tapes from Nas, whatever the case may be. But who knows? It might be a tester, it might be a filler, a feeler outer of some sorts, but let's get into it nonetheless. So, basically, I feel as though this album took off where Views left off in terms of his universal sound. So, as you know, in Views, he had a little bit of influences here and there with uh, Dancehall, Afrobeat, and, and what have you. He kind of took that worldly approach. And we saw that more so in the middle, in the middle meat section of of the album and he kind of used that in a sense to tell Toronto's story through its sound because of the multicultural diversity that we have in Toronto and when it comes to our arts um, you know the African communities and the Caribbean communities are very popular in that regard so I feel like he was trying to tell that story with the views and I felt like he wanted to bring that over into more life and he did a lot more of that I would say especially in the first half of the album as well uh, and then the second half of the album it's more of your you're more of your contemporary Drake, so a lot of the trap music that he's been doing as of late, uh, and then he'll have a few actual rap records where he just kind of lyrically dumbs out and kind of gives us that Drake that we all know and love from earlier in his career when he was a bit more hungry. Um, so one of the other things that that kind of sticks out to me from this uh, project is the fact that he's fe featuring a lot of uh, grime artists. So grime is the hip hop scene that's in the UK. So you have records from Gigs and and um, and Skepta and and a whole bunch of other guys. Even on a couple of tracks here and there, he kind of has a little bit of an English twang to to his lyrics and what have you. So trying to speak a little bit in that Cockney accent. Um, and as we all know, Drake has been in and out of the UK for the last couple of years now. So he's really taken a gander of what's happening in their hip hop scene. And he's kind of ingratiated himself in that scene as well. And it, it's smart from a marketing standpoint and from a business standpoint because he's pretty much tapping into a market that the American market has kind of forgotten about. They may have looked at it for a minute, like with Dizzy Rascal, for example, but then they kind or not Dizzy. Well, maybe Dizzy Rascal had a minute in America, but I was thinking of uh, Tiny Tempa, actually. That was the gentleman who I was thinking of. Uh, they kind of looked at that scene for a minute, and they kind of looked away from it after. But now that Drake,
like, you know, him being by far the hottest, hottest star in hip hop and arguably the best or the uh, biggest pop star in entertainment right now. He is kind of giving that rub or the cosign to the English scene. And who knows, something may come out of it. So um, a smart part, a smart play on his on his end, no doubt. So the records, some of the records from the uh, or some of the records that were featured with the uh, UK artists, they didn't really stand out to me. You know, other than the fact that they were that they were you know foreign, but beyond that, I was cool with it. It was all right, nothing you know too out of bounds with that. Um, other than that, I would say, you know, some of the better moments for me personally came when he was doing uh, some of the more Afrobeat inspired uh, pop records because I felt like he was kind of in a zone when it came to moving uh, making the smooth records like Get It Together. It's probably the smoothest record on the album, and I can't remember the name of the the female artist who was with them, but she did her thing as well. You can even you can even argue the fact that she kind of took over the record because we heard Drake more throughout the chorus of the record rather than an actual verse. But I think she had at least two verses on that record, and you know, hopefully, you know, she can kind of build her profile off of that because that's definitely one of the bigger records on the album. Uh, Passion Fruit is also another popular record off of the album. I think it's one of the lead singles, if I'm not, if I'm not mistaken. Um, it's definitely one that's on a lot of people's radar, and I can totally understand why. It's very smooth. It's like Luke Cage asking a girl for coffee. It's that type of smooth. Like you can't go wrong with that. Uh, but yeah, it's definitely one of the standout records on that album. It was one of the, one of the records that I enjoyed. But the record that I low-key enjoyed, actually, was Glow featuring Kanye West. And I know Drake and him were on the most polarizing of terms. Like, on one moment, they're working on an album. Next moment, Drake doesn't want anything to do with him because Kanye said some stuff about him and Khaled on stage. So if we are to get some sort of Kanye and Drake collaboration, then hearing this record right here is possibly a good indication that it could actually work because Glow is actually low-key one of the more better songs on this album. And I think it's a song that a lot of people are are going to like. I feel like it has like a slow burn feel to it because everyone's attention is probably on Passion Fruit and Blem and and Get It Together and a few other records that really stand out. But I feel like that record is going to kind of blow up probably, I would say, by summertime, if anything. And Drake knows exactly what he's doing by putting a record out like this early in the year and then kind of letting it fester on into summertime. So I really like that record. Um, where it falls off for me is when Drake does the trap stuff. And as you guys already know, I'm not a huge fan of trap rap because I feel like trap rap is so contrived. It's generic. It's the same type of subject matter, and it's the same type of flow, whether it's a, it's a staccato flow or if it's just very nursery rhyme flow. It's, it doesn't do it for me. And I feel like Drake is so talented of an artist that he doesn't need to subject himself to rapping over a trap beat unless if he's going to do something different with a trap beat that we've yet to hear or that we rarely hear. But he's just kind of sticking with the passion. He's just kind of running with the herd instead of finding his own path to trail in that regard. So he has records with guys like 2 Chains and, and um, what's it called? And Young Thug. Uh, what was it called? I think it was called... I have it written down here. It was called uh, Sacrifices. Sacrifices was one of them, um, which I thought was actually a, a good record with those guys not on it, if you know what I mean. Um, there were some other records that you had with, with YG. It was okay. 
Uh, he had another record with, uh, what's that guy's name, Travis Scott. Again, it was okay. It didn't really do it for me. I know there's people who love trap records, so they'll probably, like, feast on that. But for me, it's just whatever. Like, it's, I, I feel like I've heard every trap record that can possibly be done. And I'm so... I'm still shocked at the fact that trap is still a thing in 2017. Like, it hasn't died off yet, so... Ugh, sigh. I don't even know what to say to that. Let's just keep it moving, man. Um, the best tracks on this record are the ones where he really goes in-depth on a rap tip. And I'm talking about when he's rapping, like he's like he has his life is depending on it, where he's just spazzing out. That's why I feel like No... Um, uh, or Do Not Disturb, rather, is one of the better records on this album. It, or playlist, sorry. And it closes off this project. And it's one of the stronger ones because he kind of attacks certain people who are attacking him, like Tory Lanez, for example. Uh, he calls him a one-day star. And as we all know, Day Star is, actu- is the actual name of Tory Lanez. So I find it interesting that you know he kind of used the play on words in that regard because, as we all know, Drake has never really called out anybody by name on a diss record. Um, even going back to his days, it, actually, no, no, maybe back to his days when he was in Toronto calling out Arissa. I think he actually did call Arissa out by name. But as far as him, you know, being a megastar since then, he hasn't really done that. Neither with Meek Mill. So it was a clever play on words that, that he chose to use. So I really like that record. Um, yeah, just a few of the rap records that were he's actually kind of going off and just kind of going at it, going for broke, so to speak. Those are that's when he really stands out when it comes to the rap stuff. Um, overall, my general analysis of this album is the fact that Views was basically the precursor to this. Views essentially, you know, died for our listening sins so that this project could be given more life, so to speak. Um, I feel like had Views not come out and this came out instead, we would have had mixed feelings about it because we didn't we wouldn't have known what to expect because when views came out we didn't know what to expect i mean some of us expected certain things and then when it actually came out we were disappointed for me i thought it was going to be his magnum opus album because as great of a profile he has he's yet to have one classic album he hasn't had his reasonable doubt he hasn't had his dog style he hasn't had his illmatic he hasn't even had his college dropout so when views came out we thought okay this is going to be the one and it ended up not being the one. It was still a good album. It's just it just wasn't what we were expecting at the end of the day. So when now that this is out, we're like, okay, so this is the route that Drake want, wants to go. This is his lane where he's comfortable in. Cool, so be it. So I'm not mad at this uh, this uh, playlist, this project, whatever you want to call it. It's an okay one. Now the ratings. Uh, as far as the ratings go, I have I have a few ratings. So if it's a dud, I'm giving it wood. If it's just satisfactory but not really that good i'm giving it silver if it's pretty good pretty good you know almost strong then i would say uh gold if it's very strong very strong you know definitely worth more than one listen i'm gonna give it platinum and then if it's just classic i'm gonna give it diamond right now i'm sitting at a i'm sitting at a gold i'm sitting at a gold right now like it's a very it's a very solid album it has a little bit of replay value to it it definitely has replay value as far as some of the singles go. And as we all know, Drake is more of a single-driven artist, whereas someone like a Kendrick Lamar is a more album-driven artist. So definitely there's going to be a lot of singles on here that are going to blow up in the summer. And Drake is already doing the numbers anyway, so he clearly has nothing to worry about at all. Like, he shattered his own records with the downloading streams. He basically Steph Curried himself. I don't know if it's a light skin thing or something like that. Who knows? <laughs> but anyways, that's my grade on, on the playlist on the project as a whole. 
What do you guys think? Are you guys into more life? Uh, does it deserve more life, so to speak? Hit me up on Twitter at DM underscore cool or cool underscore radio and let me know your thoughts. Coming up after the commercial break, speaking of Kendrick Lamar, he dropped a new record entitled The Heart Part 4, and we're going to get into that right now. And after the break, as part of Trip Talk, we're going to dissect that record and figure out whether or not he was dissing Big Sean or allegedly Drake. So keep it locked. This is Cool Radio, and we will be right back after these messages. Listen online or download the app. You got it? MaximumFM.ca. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to the show. It is your man, DM Cool, and this is Cool Radio. Um, I got to give a big shout-out to Kendrick Lamar for dropping some heat, so I'm going to give that a cool drop real quick, just like this. Jeez. The heart part four, man. He had no heart. He was Davy Jones on this record, man. Um, So speaking of which... Let's get into that right now, man. Let's talk about this Kendrick Lamar record, which is entitled The Heart Part 4. Let's break it down, actually. So he dropped this record, I think, early today, actually, this Friday morning. And obviously, the internet lost its damn mind when he put it out there. And I think one of the biggest things in this record that he said was for everybody to, you know, get their ish together by April 7th. Because uh, that's apparently when his new album's coming out. Or something. We, we don't know. He just said, he just gave us a warning shot, April 7th, beware. That's all he said. So who knows what's coming out? Maybe another disc record, maybe another album. Who really knows? But either way, I'm here for it. But let's break it down, man. So the whole thing on this record is he calls out some name. Well, he called out, the only name he called out was Donald Trump, of course. But then he fired a few subliminal shots at a few certain rappers. Who who knows? We're going dis- to We're gonna dissect that right now. We're going to break it down. So... Let's break down the Donald Trump disc, just to, you know, get that out of the way. Basically, he said the following, and I quote, Donald, Donald Trump is a chump. Know how we feel. Punk tell him that God coming and Russia need a replay button. Y'all up to something. So he's basically talking about how uh, the, you know, the alleged conspiracy talks between Trump and Russia's uh, leader, Vladimir Putin, and how they're in some sort of a uh, uh, collaboration with one another as far as, you know, like oh, world domination, maybe, who knows. So he's basically just pointing that out and just basically letting people to letting people know that y'all got to stay woke. Now, let's get on to the juicy stuff. He is allegedly talking about Big Shine and a couple of lines here and there. And the main reason why people are assuming that is because this all goes way back to 2013 when he dropped a verse on Big Sean's record called Control. And that record was originally supposed to be on Big Sean's album, but when all this buzz came out, it didn't make the final album cut for God knows whatever reason. We know. We know. <laughs> but, yeah, that's where, you know, the the – alleged beef stems from and also they collaborated on another track together called holy key which is on dj Khaled's project uh, major key last summer now they both had bars on that record like both of them really you know stood out and just kind of had an out-of-body experience kendrick had the better verse of course but big sean he was impressive on that record i will give him that he he was impressive on that record but anyways this is the line that um kendrick said about big sean or allegedly said about big sean and i quote my fans can't wait for me to see, sorry, my fans can't wait for me to sun your punk ass and crush your whole little shit. I'll big pun your punk ass, you a scared little bitch. Tiptoeing around my name, nigga, you lame. And when I get at you, homie, don't you just tell me you was just playing. 
So that could be a play on words because of what he's saying in here. So let's dissect it for a little bit. He said, I'll crush your whole little shit. I'll big pun your punk ass. You a scared little bitch, basically. So we all know Big Sean's name has big in front of it. And he was talking, he's saying the words little and little and big and what have you. So a little play on words here and there. And then he also says, Ho Jay Z Hall of Fame, sit your punk ass down. And that was a possible reference to Big Sean's album Hall of Fame, basically. So a lot of subliminal shots are being shot out there. So what also adds a little interesting dynamic to this is the fact that Big Sean had a record on his latest project entitled No More Interviews. And uh, people are alleging that he may have said something about Kendrick. And this is the following line that had people, you know, wondering if he was talking about Kendrick. So he said the following in that quote. And I'm not just impressed by you niggas rapping fast who sound like one big asthma attack but trash when I'm rapping it back who you put in your top five and claim that they the savior of rap. I don't know. I mean, Kendrick does rap fast. He says a lot of things that people really love to hear and people state that he's a savior of rap. So... Let's put two and two together, people. I mean, it sounds almost 98% obvious that he is re- referencing Kendrick Lamar. Maybe it's just a little fun one-upsman gamesmanship that, they're going, that they have going right now. But I don't think Big Sean is equipped to go against Kendrick Lamar, in my opinion. To me, this is like Meek Mill going at Drake, and Drake bodied him. I think the real battle that people really want to see is Drake versus Kendrick Lamar. That is your Jay-Z versus Nas of this generation. Now, I don't care how many people want to scream out bloody murder for me saying that. Let's be honest. If we're going to talk about stature at the very least, then this is what we're going to be getting in that regard. And speaking of Big Sean, or sorry, speaking of Drake versus Big Sean, Drake versus Kendrick Lamar, sorry. Um, there was a bit of a reference to that as well. Um, and he said this at the very beginning of the song. He says the following, don't tell a lie on me. I won't tell the truth about you. It's a very vague line, but some people are even speculating that that could be him taking a shot at Drake for the whole ghostwriting you know, controversy, basically. So it's a possibility that they could be discussing that. We don't really know as of yet, but it is a possibility. Overall, all of this is very fun and intriguing to me because we don't really get rap, like, rap beasts on wax anymore. Like It's all about... Twitter posting like, oh, I sold more than you. Hashtag, you're basic. Hashtag, you're not on my level. No, I don't want to see hashtags and and Twitter fingers firing off. I want to hear bars. Bars. Not ice cream bars. Not chocolate bars. I want to hear bars on wax. Stanzas. Punchlines. Metaphors. Delivery on fleek. You name it. I want to hear that stuff. I don't want to hear people just pussyfooting around the situation and subtexting and subtweeting and all that. None of that. That's that's played out. I want to hear people reference each other on tracks and just go at it. Because that is a very fabric of hip-hop. We got a bit of that in the Remy Ma versus Nicki beef, but more so from Remy Ma than Nicki. We already know how that went. And no one's trying to hear Birdman versus Rick Ross. That. Please, I will I will look over that in a heartbeat. I don't even care about that. I want to know if this is legit. Because if this is legit, then we have a lot to look forward to in the upcoming weeks since this April 7th warning shot 
has us has all of us, you know, marking that dates on our calendars because we don't know what's gonna happen. It could be a new album. It could be another disc record. It could be a full fledged disc record for all we know. Hell, it could just be a whole one big entire troll job, and it could just be Kendrick featuring Big Sean. We don't know, but the future looks bright. I'm I'm excited. I'm a Kendrick Lamar fan. Everyone knows that. To me, he's the best rapper of this generation, bar none. I mean, this guy. We're talking about a guy who has had three consecutive albums that have been debatable classics in a lot of pe- people's circles. And even his Untitled album, which is kind of like his version of The Lost Tapes, garnered a lot of praise as well. So who knows if this is a fourth album coming out. All we know is that there's some possible heat coming, and he's firing it in Big Sean's direction, clearly. And now it's time to see what Big Sean can respond with, or if he's going to respond with any heat on his end. I'm very curious to see how that's going to go down. But what do you guys think? Is that going to go down? Let me know your thoughts. Hit me up on Twitter at DM underscore cool or cool underscore radio. Ladies and gentlemen, it is time for another edition of Flashback Friday. So let's hit that Flashback Friday track of the day drop, shall we? And here we go. Yes, yes. So we are continuing with the theme of Women's History Month, and we are going to be playing records from a lot of influential women within hip-hop and R&B who did their thing, who paved the way, and what have you. So this one comes by way of Foxy Brown, and 2001 was arguably her biggest year in the industry because she had hits upon hits, collaborating with who's who and what's what in hip-hop, and this right here really brought it you know, to her Caribbean roots as well. This record... Features Sprague of Benz, and this one is called Oh Yeah. And when we come back, we have the Wanks of the Week. So keep it locked. We will be right back after these messages. Yeah. Listen online or download the app. You got it? MaximumFM.ca. Welcome back to the show, people. Once again, this is your man DM Cool. And this is Cool Radio. And I will keep you guys waiting no longer. <clears throat> Who has entered the shallow walls of the Hall of Shame this week? Who has been crowned the captain of Coonery? This week, ladies and gentlemen, it is time for another edition of Wankster of the Week. This Wankster, or sorry, this week's Wankster rather, is a collection of Wanksters actually. So, the, the week's uh, Wanksters go to comedian Little Duval, rapper T.I., and I guess rapper songwriter Safari Samuels. Uh, because they were all on an edition of Hip Hop Squares, which is basically a live game show. And basically, they're just ripping on each other, but they kind of escalated things a little too seriously, in my opinion. So, here's how it starts off. So, they're on this show or whatever, and I guess they're just being participants or what have you. And I don't know how it got to this point, but T.I. decided to take a jab at, uh, at Safari Samuels, basically. And he basically said... He on Love and Hip Hop, I thought his hip hop love had went on. I know he had a hip hop love no mo. So basically, he's playing off of the fact that he was on VH1's Love and Hip Hop, which is basically a graveyard, if you ask me. And two, the fact that his hip hop love was Nicki Minaj. So kind of playing on the fact that him and her broke up two years ago. So basically, um, Safari took that pretty personally and basically made a jab at T.I. saying how he never needed help. At least he never needed help with his bars and that his bars aren't subpar. And that with Little Duval, 
I think he he jumped in and said something about him being on Living Hip Hop as well. But Lil Duval, he made a joke about him saying how his penis was bigger than him. So it's a little petty because you're on a game show. You didn't have to be all petty like that. You didn't have to take yourself too seriously. Like, I'm looking at a picture of him right now. Then my shirt is, like, all the way open. He's wearing jewelry. He's looking extra gaudy and looking like a cliche, basically. Like, I know... You've been in a relationship with with a woman for like ten years, or whatever. I know you're ready to brook out and stuff like that, but come on, bro. Like you're taking yourself a little too seriously. Now, I think there's some tension between the two in general because of the fact that uh, Ti was messing with some girl named Anna Montana, who was basically a former escort, and how Safari used to date her as well. Like that was a side piece, apparently. But that was Ti's side piece because he was doing it with her while he was with Tiny, and that's what led to their breakup or divorce. So it's a little sticky. Either way, all I'm trying to say is that there's no reason to be taking yourselves too seriously when you're playing games on a game show. Like it's a live audience. You don't want to give people more stuff to fodder off of. It's not that serious. Relax, you know. Keep it in your pants. It's not that serious. Um, yeah, it's just stupid. It's just stupid. I mean, so far as I hear looking like bootleg Miami Vice, like it's not that serious. So that's my two cents on the take. T.I., you know, you can do better, bro. Like you don't need to be wasting your time taking shots at a guy like Safari Samuels. Like, it, like you've solidified yourself. Like do better. Little Duval, what up? I don't know. It's a weak wankster. I know, whatever. But I'm giving these guys some wankster nonetheless. Do they deserve it? Of course they do. And we're going to drop it on them one more time, just like this. Ladies and gentlemen, that is the show for tonight. I want to thank y'all for tuning in. Um... We don't have any planning uh, guests for next week as of yet, but we will have some in as the weeks go by. I promise you that. Um, but for you guys to catch up on what we're doing on a regular basis, make sure you hit us up on Twitter at cool underscore radio. And you can use that same handle to find us on SoundCloud. You'll find all of the podcast. If you missed an episode, you'll find it on there. So it's soundcloud.com slash cool underscore radio. Also, you can hit us up on YouTube at youtube.com slash coolradiocc to watch all the clips that we have. Well, not all the clips, but a few clips here and there nonetheless. And, of course, you can like us on Facebook at coolradiocc as well. Give us a like. Hit us up. Let us know what you think. What do you want to hear on Cool Radio and all that good stuff. So, once again, I want to thank you all for tuning in. As you do on a weekly basis, I really appreciate the love. You guys already know how how it goes with that. Um, and just to let y'all know, Cool Radio is a division of Cool Click Media and Entertainment, reminding you each and every day that we are creating our own legacies. Make sure you guys stay tuned for the CUT Awards, the third annual CUT Awards that are happening in May of 2017. It's happening this year, guys. You guys, make sure you don't miss it. It's Saturday, May 6th. It's going to be amazing. So many incredible acts from not only Toronto, but all of Canada as well. So many awards are being handed out. People are being nominated. My man Goliath Pot is up for a nomination for Best Rap Record of the Year, so make sure you go support him and all the other artists who are doing their thing as well. But once again, keep it graving and wavy, y'all. We are out of here. Peace. Cool.